0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Enlighten Me podcast. I'm your host Mackenzie and you are listening to episode 74 of the show. Now before we dive in today, I want to take a second to thank a sponsor who is helping to make the show possible. Today's show is made possible by Extrema Cookware. Most home cooks know that Teflon coated nonstick cookware can add dangerous chemicals to your foods as you cook, but even newer ceramic coated cookware, which is often advertised as green, contains synthetic bonding materials extrema ceramic cookware is different made from 100 percent pure ceramic extrema is all natural non-toxic inorganic and non-reactive and will never leach chemicals metals or lead and it won't change the taste of your food extrema cookware is also better for the environment and is crafted from renewable raw materials using earth-friendly manufacturing methods use the link in the show notes to shop extrema cookware today All right, so today on the show, we're discussing a super fun topic, and it's with a super fun guest. So join me in welcoming Jess Gardner. Jess is a fellow podcaster, and you may have heard her name before because I was actually on her show a while back, the Modern Mamas Podcast. In that episode, we discussed sustainable clothing, and I had such a blast with her and knew I needed to get her on my show too. As you'll hear today, Jess has her hand in many, many things, so there's a lot I could have interviewed her on, but one of those things is the Enneagram. Jess is an anagram expert and coach, and so I wanted to have her on to give us a crash course in it. Now, if you haven't heard of the Enneagram before, you're probably trying to figure out what the heck I'm saying, but don't worry, Jess is going to explain it all to us today, including what the name means. In part one, we're primarily discussing what the Enneagram is and why it's such a helpful tool in people's lives, and we're also going to jump into describing each of the nine different types. But I will give you a heads up, if you think your type could be numbers four through nine, we're going to leave you on a cliffhanger because those will be explained next week in part two. We just scratched the surface with numbers 1, 2, and 3 today, but nonetheless, it's good to learn about all the numbers there are because, for one, it can help you to identify your own type, and for two, as Jess explains today, it can give us increased empathy and understanding for those around us who might be a different number than we are. This was such an enlightening conversation for me, and since Jess and I spoke, I've already used the information I learned from her in conversations with my husband and my friends. It's so, so good, and I'm so excited for everyone to learn along with me. I also told Jess that it was nice to have a break from the somewhat heavier topics that I tend to discuss on the show, so you're going to have lots of fun with us today as you learn more about yourself and more about those around you. While you're listening, don't forget about leaving a review for the show. I want to take a second to acknowledge someone who took the time to do this. This review says five stars. I really enjoyed the grief episode and enjoyed the different topics that the podcast discusses. Thank you so much for taking the time to leave that review. It really means more than you know, and not just because of the words of affirmation. Reviews actually help more people to find the show, and they help folks in need because I donate $2 for every review I receive. It really only takes a couple minutes, and you can even get a shout out on the podcast for leaving one, so hey, why not do it while you listen? I'd also really appreciate if you'd share the show with friends. While you're listening, you're probably going to think of other people who would enjoy this conversation or who might need to hear it, so please send it to them or share online that you're listening. And of course, make sure you're subscribed to the show so that you don't miss when part two with Jess is available next week. Okay, friends, here is my conversation about all things Enneagram with my friend Jess. Okay, hey Jess, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for
1: having me. I am so excited to dive into one of my favorite topics of all time. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I am too. And I will say, I don't know if you've listened to many of my episodes, but I feel like normally there's some pretty heavy topics. And so this one's so much more fun than <laughs> the topics I normally cover. <laughs> so I'm really excited to talk with you about it today. Can you just start with introducing yourself for everybody? Absolutely. My name
1: is Jess Gertner. And, oh, my gosh, people ask me what I do all the time. And it's like I have such a hard time describing it because there's so many things. <laughs> I have my hands and yes. so many different things. But um, I'm a mom of two kiddos, two fur, fur dogs, too. We have two giant great white Pyrenees that are rescues, um, a partner mm-hmm. to my husband, Tim. We've been almost married for 10 years. And outside of those being like my primary roles in life, I would say, yes. I am also a podcaster myself. I have the Modern Mamas podcast, which I've been doing with my co-host Laura for, gosh, I think it's four years. The years really just like run together at this point. We've been doing it a long time. Um, (laughs) And that is something that we do. We do weekly shows and we've been doing that for a really long time. And then I'm also a blogger. uh, I would say sometimes blogger at (laughs) jessgertner.com and a beauty counter consultant. I also teach the Enneagram. I'm a certified Enneagram coach and I work with individuals and recently here groups. I've been doing a lot of group work, um, which has been super impactful. And the Enneagram was something that I got into on a personal level a couple of years ago. And it, it changed my life so much that I was like, I have to learn about this. I have to learn more and I have to figure out how to teach this to other people. And it's now become a really big part of what I do um, I use it in all of my businesses. I use it in my personal relationships, uh, my friendships, my, you know, with my spouse, with my kids. And so that's, it's kind of like the thing that I think I'm, I'm put on earth to do is to share this wisdom. So
0: oh, that's me in a nutshell. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so cool. And you live in Texas, right?
1: Yes, South Texas.
0: South Texas. Okay. And you survived some crazy storms and now you're doing okay. <laughs> We survived, yep, yeah. we're doing good. Good, good, I'm glad. And then, like you said, you're a podcaster to Modern Mamas podcast. What what would you say, how do you describe your podcast, like what would you say it's about if someone asked?
1: Well, it's evolved certainly over the last couple of years, but really our focus is on supporting mamas and the people who support mamas, so essentially anyone, yeah. <laughs> um, through through the motherhood transition, and for some people that starts, you know, before they've even considered having kiddos, but yeah. they're maybe just curious, or whether that's through adoption or like having biological kiddos, and we want it to be a safe space, regardless of your perspective, gender, race, religion, etc, cetera, etc, cetera, for you to come and learn different things surrounding that transition. We share our personal stories. When we first started, it was a really heavy guest related content. And we would tackle a lot of topical things. And over the years, our listenership has just kind of requested us to show up and chat, which still blows my mind because I'm like, sometimes I show up and I'm like, what am I, there's nothing cool happening in my life, but I'll share it anyways. And so now we do a lot more of Laura and I kind of talking about our personal motherhood stories and, you know, the things that we're encountering as our kiddos grow older. And then we also still do guest recordings and those can be anything from you know aware parenting to of course sustainable clothing to all the things that the modern modern day mama and their support system might be intrigued to know more about so yeah i i'm not i'm I don't have the power of, like, brevity, which is why I have a podcast. People ask me, like, in one word or one sentence, describe what you do. I'm like, listen, I can't.
0: (laughs) No, that's okay. That's great. I just wanted to make sure we covered that since, obviously, people who are listening are podcast fans. So just in case they were Mm -hmm. curious and checking out your show, wanted to make sure they knew about it. But yeah, okay. So let's get back to the main topic that we're here to cover today, the Annie. Enneagram. I guess let's start with just what is it in case anybody's tuning in and doesn't know. I feel like at this point, most people have heard of the Enneagram, but might not still understand really what it is. So how do you explain it to people who've never heard of it before?
1: Yeah. So first and foremost, the Enneagram, well, I'm a self, self-professed self like, personality test taker junkie mm-hmm. addict. I've taken all of them. I've, do, I've done Myers-Briggs. I've done strength finders. I've done, you know, all the different tests. I know what like Hogwarts, Hogwarts house I'm in, what my ugly sweater is for Christmas time. Like I know all that stuff. Uh-huh. Um, I love it and it's so much fun. But it wasn't until I discovered the Enneagram that I was, I found a quote unquote personality test that actually went beyond like, here's who you are. Because that's interesting, right? Like it's fun to learn about ourselves, but I think the real impact comes within what do you do with that information, right? right. Like it's fun to know your strengths and weaknesses, but like how do you grow using yeah. that information and what does that look like? And the Enneagram was the first test or structure or framework that I ever encountered that really went beyond the knowing into uh-huh. the like, now there, here's some action steps, here's what to look for, here's some tools, that you can start to apply in your everyday life to start this progress of growth, you know, or this process of growth. And so the Enneagram I love, it's a mouthful, but one of my favorite quotes about the Enneagram, when people ask me like what it is, it's from The Road Back to You, which is a book that I initially kind of started my journey with. But he says, the purpose of the Enneagram is to show us how we can release the paralyzing arthritic grip we've kept on old self-defeating ways of living so we can open ourselves to experiencing more interior freedom to become our best selves. Mm -hmm. And basically it's like we start to, we start the process of self awareness. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, I think a lot of people like to think that we're self aware. But for the most part, I would argue that a lot of us are not. Mm-hmm. Um, we are kind of on autopilot for most of our lives, just kind mm-hmm. of waking up, going to work, doing the thing, checking the boxes, and really just relying on our personalities, defenses, the way we've always done things to kind of get us through. And so the Enneagram is a tool. It's not the tool. It's not the only tool. It's not going to heal you of all of your problems, Yeah. but it is a tool. And I would argue a very powerful one to step into that process of self-awareness and therefore growth. Mm -hmm. It's also a tool for empathy in your relationships with others. So it's kind of like twofold. The first is knowing yourself. And then the second part is now then learning about other people and how everyone views the world in a different way. Mm -hmm. Everyone has their own lens with which they're processing the things that are happening to them. And that is essentially what the Enneagram is in a nutshell, Mm -hmm. (laughs) a not so small nutshell. And I will say it's also not a fast, like a quick trip, right? It is, it's not as easy as taking the test and then it spits out like you are an Enneagram 3. I mean, it does give you an idea of what you could be yeah, But if you're looking for like something like Myers-Briggs where you take all the questions and it spits out exactly what you are, it's not that. And I actually think it's better that way because mm-hmm. it challenges you to look inside yourself for the answer, not necessarily mm-hmm. have the test tell you who you are. Right. And that can be hard for people, right? Like I mistyped for months because I kept taking a test and it was telling me I was an Enneagram 3. And I was like, okay, I really obviously resonate with the Enneagram 3. But in the inside, I didn't feel like that was who I was. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I spoke with my Enneagram mentor, the person that I did my, my coaching certification through, that she was like, maybe you might consider looking at this number as your type. And I was like, oh, my God. And then my whole world opened up. So it's not a quick trip. It is a journey. Be patient with yourself. Um, But once you start to uncover that information, it's Mm life-changing.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, just from the little bit that I know, it does seem so much more in-depth than any other personality test out there. So I do think it's really cool. I guess, how long has the Enneagram been around? Because it seems like a new thing, but I'm pretty sure it's been around for a long time, right?
1: Yeah, there. I mean, origins are really complex and kind of convoluted. Yeah. Um, Most people will kind of say that it's just a mixture of different philosophies, trains of thought, theologies. There's really a lot going on there. Yeah. And so it's really hard to say, like, it comes from this. Yeah. (laughs) But it's really heavily influenced by a lot of different things. And I think recently it's come to light through, and it's not. It's not a non-Christian based tool or a Christian based tool, but I think it's gained a lot of popularity in like Christian circles as a tool for learning about yourself and God's unique design for you. Yeah. If having a faith based connection tool tool like this resonates with you, that is, is definitely a part of it. Yeah. But it also has lots of other influences. Does that make sense? It's kind of like this melting pot of influences.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah. That was kind of my impression that it had some kind of like, faith roots, but not that like you don't have to be a Christian necessarily to still resonate with it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Uh, people always ask me too. I think I kind of glossed over this, but they're like, well, what does Enneagram mean? And I think sometimes yeah. it looks interesting. Like the the diagram is interesting. Um, it's actually uh-huh. a circle and the lines that you see that kind of create these points are just Lines that are showing you where each number goes to in growth and stress. Ennea means nine, gram means diagram, so it's really just like oh, okay. a nine, a nine referenced diagram because there are nine mm-hmm. any basic enneagram types. The numbers are all value neutral because all the types are equal, and we we need all of the types in the world to like make mm-hmm. the world go round. They each have their own superpowers, and really, that your type is just your perspective for everyday life circumstances. It's the lens with which you're viewing the world. So I am wearing my nine glasses all the time. And so the way I'm processing what's happening to me, my traumas, um, the good things that are happening to me, the what's happening in the world is heavily influenced by that perspective. And so mm-hmm. it's when we sort of feel disconnected or we're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they don't see it the way that I see it. You know, mm-hmm. this person in your life or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. It usually goes back to like That's because we have different perspectives. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: We're we're viewing things in a different way. So and once you start to unpack that and realize that, it's not that you're necessarily giving people permission for bad behavior or, you know, things of that nature, but it allows you to extend empathy and understanding Mm -hmm. to that person and set up boundaries for your own self-protection should you need that. It's just really, really cool to see how that understanding that there are different ways of viewing the world can affect your own mental health and well-being
0: yeah absolutely and that kind of goes into what something that I wanted to ask you was like because obviously this is something that you're really passionate about how do you feel like it's personally helped you with relationships I feel like a lot of times when we talk about like personality tests it seems like something they would make you do at work which you can obviously use it in the <laughs> workplace but it goes far beyond that doesn't it
1: Oh, yeah. So far beyond that. And I do do a lot of sessions with work groups, corporations, teams, because essentially what it is, is just it's it's all about your relationships with, well, first yourself and Mm -hmm. then with other people. And that's I mean, that's. That's human existence, right? It's like we're really, really characterized by our relationships, whether that's personal, Mm. professional, romantic, friendship. They're a big part of our lives in different, in various like amounts, depending on who you are. And we can kind of get into that too, because each type is different. But at the end of the day, like they're a big part of who we are, how we relate to people. And so it's been so impactful for me. It started actually in my marriage. So we've been Mm -hmm. married for 10 years, but, you know, still going strong. And, but there's been a lot of, I'm an Enneagram nine and my husband's an Enneagram five. And there'd been some times over the years where I have just like, gosh, like I'm a pretty, actually a pretty social Enneagram nine. And I like Mm -hmm. people and I like to be out and about. And I like, you know, like. Just I have a little bit more high energy. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: my husband, as an Enneagram 5, which we can talk about too, like the the big difference there, but needs alone time, needs Mm -hmm. to be alone to be recharged, not necessarily – super excited to go to gatherings with people he doesn't know. He told me if I ever threw him a surprise birthday party, that it would be the worst thing he would ever experience in his whole life. So I was like, "Okay, noted." Whereas like in my mind I'm like, "Yeah, surprise birthday party, that would be awesome." Yeah. <laughs> so it was, you know, those things that just happened over the years where I was like, "Oh my gosh, he doesn't understand me." Or like, "Why does he not want to do this stuff with me?" Yeah. "What's the problem? Like he doesn't want to spend yeah. time with me." And when it was I started learning about him, I was like, "Oh, It's not, it has nothing to do with me. Like, and Uh he really steps outside his comfort zone as much as he possibly can for me. But it was when I realized, like, this is hard for him. This is not natural for him. He does need alone time, not because he doesn't want to be around me, but because he just needs it to recharge to be able to show up fully as himself. Um, That it kind of changed our marriage. And so that's kind of like my personal story, but that's one way it can be impactful. And again, understanding your coworkers, understanding your boss or a team that you lead in that way, that we're all motivated differently. We all have different core fears and desires that drive us to do what we do. Once you start unpacking that, it's a game changer. It really, really is. So that's why it really, it's something I'm very passionate about sharing.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. I've heard other people say before how much it helps their marriage. And I think that's awesome. What about like, do you feel like you ever encounter whether it's like, in a coaching session or just whatever, people who are skeptical about this or think maybe like, okay, this is just a fad, you know, because I do feel like there have been some personality type tests that have gone in and out of popularity. Um, Do you ever encounter people like that? And what do you say to them?
1: Oh, yeah, totally. And it kind of goes back to, and there are certain types on the Enneagram, certain numbers that will be more apt to be like, skeptical. Um, Yeah. Like more like have that questioner tendency. If you know Gretchen Rubin's four tendencies, really want to like know more about it or just flat out be like, I'm not doing that because I don't want to be put in a box. Yeah. To those people. I, I love this quote. And I usually will say this. I'll say the Enneagram doesn't put you in a box. It shows you the box you've put yourself in and how to get out of it if you want to. If you want to, it's like, huh, it's yeah. not, no one's going to force you into growth or self-awareness Yeah, <laughs> if you're not ready. Or if this is not something that resonates with you, that's totally fine. It's a tool. Like I mentioned before, it's not the only tool, uh-huh. but I would say to most people, I, I really hit home. It's a tool for self-awareness and growth. If you feel like you've got that down, if you feel like you're happy with where you're at, your relationships are strong, your mental health is great. Um, and you are kind of living your life and doing your thing, that's fantastic. If, however, you you feel like, you know, you're missing connections, you're not understood, or you're having a hard time understanding others, you feel stuck, you feel like you're repeating the same old patterns over and over and over again, hoping for a different result, then come into it with an open mind, because it really is just learning, and expanding Mm -hmm. your knowledge of yourself. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I would never force anyone, but I just, I usually take that approach, like take it or leave it. It's here for it if you want it, but you don't have to.
0: Yeah, totally. Well, I feel like too, and I don't think you would say this because you're probably nicer than I am, but I'm (laughs) thinking like if anybody is like, Thinking, no, I'm I'm good. Like, I don't need any more self-awareness. It's like "Mm, you're probably the person that needs it the most. (laughs) Just do it for the other people around you, okay? (laughs) Yeah. And
1: I think it it really goes to everyone's on their own path of growth and self-awareness. And so, like, I've seen it in my own in my own family. I've mentioned it numerous times to like certain family members or friends that are really close Uh to me. And maybe their initial reaction was like, Okay, I'm not (laughs) doing this. I'm skeptical. This sounds like a weird thing, or they have their preconceived ideas about it. Um, and then over time, depending on where they're at in their personal growth path, they'll come and ask me questions, like, mm-hmm. "Okay, so tell me more. Like, is there a test? Like, how do you figure it out?" Yeah. And they'll they'll see something on Instagram, and they're like, "Oh, I saw something, and it made me think that the, I could be that number." And I'm like, "Okay, yeah. well, <laughs> you know." And so people will come to it in their own time if it's something that that they need. I think so. Yeah. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Okay, cool. Well, I feel like people probably have a little better understanding of what we're talking about now. So I want to talk about like the different types if we can. So like you said, there are nine. And I know you said that brevity is not your expertise. But, (laughs) but if you can, can you (laughs) give kind of give us like a rundown of each number? Yeah. So what I'll do is I'll kind of give you, I'll zoom out just a,
1: just a bit and then uh-huh. we'll kind of zoom in. So okay. there are nine basic types and I'll kind of give you the very basic descriptors of each type. And okay. so we'll start at one just because it's easier. Um, but we have one, which is the moral perfectionist or the reformer. Two is okay. the supportive advisor or the helper. Three is the successful achiever. Four is the romantic individualist. Five is the investigative thinker. Six is the loyal guardian. Seven is the entertaining optimist. Eight is the protective challenger. And nine is the peaceful mediator. So those are the very, very basic like archetypal descriptions of each type. Now, within that description, there's so much to uncover. I know Mm -hmm. a lot of times, again, going back to like, I don't want to be put in a box type of thinking. There are 50 shades of gray within each number. So like no two nines look the same. No two ones look the same. And the cool thing about the Enneagram is that they've created a framework to account for those individual differences. And so you've got your primary number, which is the first step of identifying and starting to learn about who you are. Now, there are a couple of things that are gonna add that nuance to your number. The first one is wings. So I wanna give you guys the language,
0: you know, yeah. to,
1: to learn about the Enneagram. So that way when you start to dive in, you'll have a pretty basic understanding. Yeah. But people will, you know, if if you're at, if you're talking about the Enneagram, they'll ask you like, what's your number? Oftentimes people will respond with like, oh, I'm a nine wing eight. And you'll be like, Mm -hmm. if you're brand new to the Enneagram, that might cause you to scratch your head. But basically, the wings are either one of the numbers uh, adjacent to your primary number. So as a nine, I can have an eight wing or a one wing. As a two, you can have a one wing or a three wing and so on and so forth. It can only be those numbers. So when I first started, I was like, I'm a nine wing four. And unfortunately, you can't have a four wing as a nine. Mm -hmm. So those Depending on your wing, that's going to – those are also more tools at your disposal. So as a nine, I have the ability to tap into some eight qualities and the ability to tap into some one qualities. And those can exist on a spectrum. Some people will really strongly identify with their wings, um, and some people won't. And those can also shift and change over time. Your Mm -hmm. primary number, however – does not change. People ask me that all the time. Can you like, cha- can your primary number change? I feel like I was this way when I was little and now I feel like I'm this way.
0: Yeah.
1: You are born with the lens. A traditional Enneagram wisdom is going to say that you're kind of born with the, the lens that you view the world. Mm-hmm. What changes is the wings that you use, your health, right? Your, how you're behaving in health and stress. Mm-hmm. Um, and that brings me to The second part, so people will look at those arrows and lines that are going all over the place within the circle. Mm -hmm. Those are actually just showing you how you behave during times of growth and times of stress. Mm -hmm. So each number has a predictable pattern of behavior that is assigned to them that we can, like I said, it's, it's predictable. So as a nine, for example, I'm just using nine as an example because I'm a nine and it's easy, but when I'm healthy, I actually take on the positive qualities of a type three.
0: Okay.
1: So on the outside, I look like a type three. If you're just looking at me based on my like personality, my behaviors on the inside, I'm still a nine, Mm -hmm. still a nine. I still have the same core fears and desires as a nine. Mm -hmm. And then on the flip side, when I am not doing so great, times of stress, I would I would probably argue that most of 2020 for a lot of us was a time of stress mm-hmm. <laughs> in some degree or another. But in times of stress, as a nine, I actually take on the not so great qualities of a type six. Okay. So on the outside, I'm going to look like I'm a type six, but I'm still a type nine because I'm taking on some of those behaviors that a six reverts to when they're not healthy as well
0: does that make sense yeah no it totally makes sense I know just for me like I mean if you've never heard of anagram before you might be like what the heck is she saying but for me I know I knew my type was a seven and like you said I for a long time was like I'm a wing three or whatever and then people were like no you can't be that and I was like no but I am and I feel like it makes it makes sense that like You have this type, but when you're like maybe in a healthy spot or a not healthy spot, you behave like another type. I feel like that just makes sense.
1: Absolutely. And it's predictable. And it's constantly fluctuating, though, because you can wake up one day and like, it's like a Disney movie. The birds are chirping and you're stretching and the sun is shining and you're like in a great place. And then you go to work or you wake up your kiddos and maybe things aren't going as expected. And so you can kind of get hit with the natural stressors of like daily life uh-huh. that are going to challenge you. And so you may enter into a stress response Recover, get kind of rebalanced, and then get into like a more even place. And that's just going to go up and down throughout the day, depending on how you're feeling yeah. um, and depending on what you're dealing with. And so it's not like, oh, I've been to five years of therapy and now I'm just, I'm healthy. I'm, yeah. I've done it. I've reached the pinnacle of health. Right. It's like always going, you're always going to be challenged because that's the nature of life, right? Yeah. So those arrows oftentimes, so if you do take the test, Sometimes I'll look at those top three, four, five, six numbers, mm-hmm. and generally you're, you're going to be able to see the two other numbers that you go to in growth and stress are going to probably show up in your top few because you resonate with them, because you go there when you're stressed and when you're healthy. And so those are things that I look at when people are trying to decide what their, their number is. Uh-huh. Those can cause you to mistype too. So if you're taking the test and you're stressed – and you're answering as you are right in this moment, Mm -hmm. your stress number might show up as your primary number, even though it's not.
0: Does that make sense? Uh, Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. So what is the best way to find out your type then? So the best way, honestly, I do think the tests are
1: helpful. I think that's a good first step. When you're taking the test, you want to answer questions as you've been most of your life, not Mm -hmm. how you are in this moment, right? Mm -hmm. And I also caution people, try to answer at a time when you felt like you had the least responsibility to other people. Because that can also alter the way that we view ourselves, the way we behave. So for instance, for me, I like to think about when I was in college. I wasn't married. I wasn't in a serious relationship. I didn't have kids. And so it was really a moment in time in my life where I was truly kind of doing what I wanted to do and how, like living my quote unquote, best life. Um, And that could be different for other people, Uh but try try and answer the questions as you've been most of your life. And so the test is one piece of information that will help you, but really beyond that, it's reading. It's reading about the types, especially the ones that kind of fall in your top Couple. I love The Road Back to You. I love listening to podcasts. Just, I mean, there's so many out there. If you just go on iTunes and you type in Enneagram, there's numerous ones that you can kind of dive into. But once you start, once you really hear about yourself, it's like, for me, it was like, oh my God, I I started sweating a little bit and I was like, that's me. Like, because mm-hmm. I heard about the good things, but then I also heard about the bad things. And that was a little bit uncomfortable because it's hard to feel like you've, you've been exposed. Mm-hmm. And those are some things that I will really recommend that people do is just continue to read and consume until you feel like mm-hmm. you've really landed somewhere.
0: Mm, okay. Yeah, totally. That's kind of what I've heard is that the test is a stepping stone, but it's not it's not necessarily going to be the end all be all for you. Like you really okay. have to like you were saying at the beginning, self diagnose in a way, before, mm-hmm. like rather than letting a test do it for you. Absolutely.
1: So do you want me to jump into the individual types or did you have some other things that you wanted to ask me before that?
0: Um, no, let's do that. That sounds fun. Okay. So
1: th- we're going to start with one just because it's easier. Sometimes, sometimes I'll start, you know, randomly, but I feel like this the flow is just a little bit easier. But our yeah. ones are the, the moral perfectionists. So there are a couple things I'm gonna be hitting on. In the interest of like trying to not have this podcast be three hours long, I won't hit on everything yeah. about each number, <laughs> but yeah. I'm gonna hit on core fear and core desire. Okay. Some of the great qualities and then the not so great qualities of each and where they go to in stress and in health and I feel like that'll give you a pretty good picture. Okay. So one is the moral perfectionist. Sometimes they're called the reformer, and their core fear is being wrong, bad, evil, inappropriate, or corruptible. And their core desire is to have integrity, to be right, virtuous, and the I'm doing air quotes, you can't see me, the good boy or girl. Okay. And I think we all want that. Nobody wants to be like wrong or like evil, but for yeah. ones, this deteriorates into what we call critical perfectionism. Okay. And so they're re- always trying to achieve this high, high standard of being.
0: Uh-huh. Um,
1: and that can be that can be difficult for them um, when they're healthy. They are ethical, reliable, productive, wise, idealistic people. They're usually honest and very orderly and self-discipline. Mm-hmm. But when they're at their worst, they can be judgmental inflexible dogmatic critical of others they can be controlling and anxious okay because again they're trying to achieve this idea of perfection that most of us kind of realize that is it's unachievable right perfection is is never going to happen we're all always in a constant state of growth but our ones are trying their best to attain that perfection Mm -hmm. when they are healthy they actually take on the positive qualities of a type seven So they're going to become really balanced by taking on these positive qualities. They're going to be less critical, more self-accepting, enthusiastic and optimistic. They're going to be more spontaneous and have more fun. Mm -hmm. And then when they're not doing so great, they're actually going to take on the unhealthy characteristics of a type four. And so they are going to feel really indignant that these expectations that they have are not being achieved by themselves and by the people around them. Um, And sometimes they can turn that anger Inward and and it can become like kind of depressive for them, so they have to really really watch for that. Okay. So that's our one in a nutshell. Okay. Do you have any questions about one?
0: No, I mean I'm well, like I told you, I'm a seven, and I'm I'm looking at the diagram while you talk, which I feel like is really helpful. Mm-hmm. If anybody else wants to pull it up, um, just Google Annie and look at pictures. Uh, but. I know for 7 the lines connect to 1 and 5. So I don't know, I guess I'm not sure what that means for me. Like I know we'll get to 7, but does that mean mm-hmm. when I'm in a good place I be I have the good characteristics of a 1?
1: So when as a 7, when you are unhealthy, you actually take on the not so great qualities of a 1. So okay. you're going to become more rigid, more controlling more have this like perfectionistic yeah. tendency to try and control. And when you're in a good place, you're actually going to take on the really good qualities of a type five. And we'll talk about that too when we get to you. So it's okay. kind of, it's okay. kind of opposite. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Okay, cool.
1: Okay. So type two is the supportive advisor or the helper. And so the, their core uh-huh. fear, and I just want to say a word about core fear and core desire. This is the most important yeah. part about who you are. Okay. The, no one can, t- no one can type you people ask me all the time, can you just tell me what I am? (laughs) And unfortunately I can't because I don't know your insights. Yeah, And I say that in like the theoretical way, not the actual like organs, but like, I don't know what you're afraid of. I don't know why you do what you do. And it all comes down to the core fear and core desire. If you think that you're a seven, but you don't resonate with that core fear and core desire then you're not a 7. Yeah. You're something else and maybe you I, you resonate with the 7 in some ways but it's not your that's not who you are on the inside.
0: Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense and that's good for other people to hear even like I feel like it's easy to listen to these kinds of things and like try to type people in your life maybe like Mm -hmm. oh my gosh my husband's totally a this you know (laughs) and it's like but you might like that might it might seem that way because like you said they might behave with those characteristics but that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean that's explaining like what's actually in their heart I guess.
1: Absolutely and you as you get better at it but you'll you'll start to be able to see some patterns of behavior and you may have ideas and they may be accurate. Yeah. Like for your husband like your husband or someone that you have a very significant relationship with mm-hmm. because you talk to them about their heart. Yeah. Um you may have a good idea, but I would just caution anyone against actually telling that person. Let them figure it out on their own. Yeah. You can be like, I have an idea of what I think you are. Yeah. But I want you to Read about it and then, like, then we can talk about it. Right. Yeah. And that's a that's a good point. Yeah. Okay. So type twos, core fear is being worthless, needy, inconsequential, dispensable, or unworthy of being loved. Their core desire is to be loved and wanted, and we all want that, right? We all want that to some extent. Nobody wants uh-huh. to be unwanted or unloved. But yeah. for twos, it drives them into the, this need to be needed. It is their primary motivator to do what they do. And that can result in some not so good, some codependency type things for our twos. So twos have to really watch out for that. At their best, twos are going to be loving, compassionate, people-oriented. They're really nurturing and generous and hospitable and very empathic. Mm -hmm. At their worst, they're actually going to be intrusive. So like kind of very like into some someone else's life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they can be martyr-like, like I did all this for her and she hasn't said thank you or she hasn't done anything in return. Things of yeah. that nature can kind of bubble up for our twos. They can be indirect. They can be possessive of their relationships. They can be needy and overly accommodating when they're not in a place of health. When they are healthy, they're actually going to take on the positive qualities of a type four. So they're going to become, they're these people who are incredibly nurturing of others. And sometimes it can be hard for them to extend that same nurturing to themselves. But when they're healthy, they're going to be able to do that. They're going to be able to take care of themselves first. Um, And they're going to be able to admit all the feelings, even when they're feeling sad. And sometimes that can be hard for a two when they're feeling upset. Um, They're going to be able to enter into that in a healthy way. When they are not doing so great, they're actually going to take on the not so great qualities of a type eight. And that you're going to see these like really generally pleasant twos start to enter into like irritable. They're going to become irritable. They may become aggressive or dominating. They may blame, make demands and start to become controlling of everything and everyone around them. So our twos have to really watch that. Those are definitely red flags for our twos that they need to start taking care of themselves.
0: Does Mm -hmm. that make sense? Yeah, no, it does make sense. My husband has taken the test, but nothing beyond that. And it came out as a type two. And we were both like, huh, that's interesting. But as you talk about it more, I'm like, Oh my gosh, that makes sense. Because he's such a he's such a helper, like, the way he loves on other people like even just the other morning he got up super early with the baby took the baby and took him and like went and got breakfast for our friends that were in town and then dropped off breakfast for someone else whose birthday it was like he did all this stuff (laughs) and yet that's not like if I did all that for him he would be like oh I wish you had just told me like how how much I mean to you you know what I mean like he appreciates Mm. the words of affirmation so much more and I'm like, that's so funny. So, like, as you explain kind of the how the two behaves, I'm like, that makes sense for him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> makes total sense. Yeah. Make total sense. Affirmation and just like, hey, I see you and I appreciate you goes a, so – such a long way for our twos.
0: Yeah, totally. When he took the test, one thing that it said – I think it was the test that said this – was that – or maybe it was one of our friends who's also a two and they said that their test said this or something. But it was like one of the qualities of a two is that you accidentally make people fall in love with you. <laughs> have you have you heard that and is that true? <laughs> I mean, I think our twos
1: are easy to love. I do think because yeah. they're so – so uh, an anecdote about twos is when they walk into a room, they're automatically sensing who needs something. Who can I help? Uh-huh. Um, and sometimes uh-huh. – you know, in a relationship with the two, it it feels so warm. Like you are the only person in the room and they make you feel that way. Like, what can I do to help you? How are you today? And they truly care and they want to know and they really want to help. And so it's Mm -hmm. through this like very generous nature that I think to a lot of people, they can be like, oh my gosh, like this person it can feel like warm sunshine when they have their attention on you and so i can see that i can totally see that i've never heard it put that way
0: but i think our twos are easy to
1: love for sure
0: yeah yeah that makes sense okay
1: (laughs) okay so um type threes are successful achievers uh-huh. In our type threes, their core fear is be- of failing, being incompetent, inefficient, exposed, worthless, or unable to appear successful. Their core desire is to be valuable, admired, and respected. And we all want that to some extent. You'll hear me, hear me say this over and over again. But for our threes, this can deteriorate into chasing after success. It's almost like, mm-hmm. okay, I've got this goal. I'm going to achieve it. And then once I achieve it, instead of pausing to be like, wow that was amazing. I achieved my goal. It's like, what's next? What's next? Yeah. We got to do the next thing. So that's what it can look like for our threes. Too much of a good thing, essentially. Uh-huh. At their best, they're incredibly optimistic, very self-affirming. They are efficient and energetic and goal-oriented. They can be really awesome team builders and they're just like on fire. They have an energy for work that like nobody else has, essentially. But uh-huh. at their worst, they can become deceptive they can become self-promoting, kind of vain, superficial, overly competitive, and they can struggle with being a workaholic because for them, their value can become so caught up in what they achieve. Like, I am only valuable because I have success, essentially, is something that a three might encounter. So they really, really have to watch out for that. When they are healthy, they're actually going to take on the positive qualities of a type six. And so they're going to become more cooperative and committed to other people, more aware of their feelings and reveal who they are behind their achieving mass. Because again, success is very important to them and not in a, I I don't want it to sound like that's all that's important to them, but they do want to project this image of like, I've got it all together. And so sometimes it can be hard for them to admit when they don't right? Mm -hmm. Because, um, and they can kind of go to great lengths to make it look like they do have everything together. When they're healthy, they're able to let their guard down and be vulnerable about like the true state of things. Mm -hmm. When they are not doing so great, they actually take on the not so great qualities of a type nine. And so Mm -hmm. you're going to see these like really energetic, enterprising, productive threes are going to suddenly become disengaged, really Mm -hmm. apathetic, like I can't do this. I don't want to do this. I'm not interested in this. I don't know what to do, Um, which is very out of character for them. And they might start neglecting themselves and maybe engaging in some numbing activities like watching TV, playing video games, maybe online shopping or food, whatever it is that they choose um, to do. That's what you're going to see show up when they're not in a good place.
0: Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. Let me ask you real quick. Uh I, I like the connection, like, okay, you're a three, but you could have the tendencies of a six or a nine. And I know you explained this at the beginning, but I'm already forgetting. So how does the wing fit into that conversation then? Like if someone's a three wing two, what does that mean exactly?
1: So that would mean that if someone's a three wing two, their primary number is a three. Their core motivation and core desire is they are three however this two is going to bring in and this is i mean it's not advanced but i don't have like all of this information in in our chat but like it yeah. would mean that they're going to take on certain qualities of the two they're going to have a connection to that the two and so for like our three with a two wing i believe is called the star and so they're going to be so charming and engaging <laughs> and just be like someone you want to be around all the time um, and so they're going to bring in a lot of those like two qualities and it, if it was a three with the four wing they're actually going to bring in a lot of those four qualities so they're going to be a, maybe a little bit more introverted maybe a little oh, bit maybe. more like artistic and creative and we haven't gotten to the four yet but you'll see why i'm talking about that when i describe them
0: um, so okay. it just really brings some nuance to their
1: personality
0: sure That makes sense because, like you said, I mean, I feel like when people hear about this, it might be like, oh, like as you're explaining even like, oh, I'm a one. And then you get to another number and it's like, well, maybe I'm a that. Like, I don't know (laughs) because you can relate to so many different parts of so many numbers. So that makes sense. Absolutely. 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 So have you figured out your type yet? Or have you been trying to type other people? It's such an interesting conversation, right? You might be like Jess, where hearing about a certain number makes you sweat a little bit because you've been exposed. But even if you didn't feel like your number was discussed today, like I said, it's important to learn about all of them because we all have tendencies to lean towards other numbers too. Now, if your type wasn't discussed today, you'll definitely want to make sure you tune in next week for part two. Jess and I are going to talk about the rest of the types, including hers and mine, and also talk about next steps. How do you confirm what type you are? What are you supposed to do with this information? And what resources should you check out next? In the meantime, I am putting a link to Jess's favorite test in the show notes in case you want to check that out while you wait for part two to air. You can take the test and see if that type resonates with you at all. That link will be in the show notes, which you can view on whatever app you're currently listening on or on my website, heartfelthippie.com. And you'll also find the links to connect with Jess and I there, as well as the link to shop Extrema Cookware. Now, before you go, make sure you're subscribed to the show. All you have to do is click the subscribe button, and that way you'll know when part two with Jess is available next week. And hey, don't forget about leaving a rating and review, and also about sharing the show with friends. I'd personally love to hear what you learned or what other questions you have about the Enneagram, so tag me and tag Jess too online when you post about it. All right, until next time, check out the test if you want to take that first step in figuring out your number. Think about how this tool can help you to have more self-awareness and empathy for others and keep seeking to get enlightened. Peace out.